Zechariah chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chisev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sharezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, in the seventh, for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities all around her, and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention, and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left, they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Amen. This ends the reading of God's word. If you would please now join me in prayer. Father, as we uh, now come to the, to the seventh chapter of your prophet Zechariah, uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would enlighten our minds, that you would open our eyes, that you would allow uh, our hearts to grasp what you have written here. Uh, Lord, that it would sink down into us, uh, that we would take it seriously, that we would esteem it as the word of the Lord and not merely the word of man. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very important to ask questions if you're going to have a good relationship with someone. Uh, observing, doing your research can only take you so far. Uh, for instance, if you wanted to, to know about uh, a leader, if you wanted to know about uh, someone in the community, uh, you could probably do quite a bit of research online, go on Facebook, perhaps even go to Wikipedia. But at the end of the day, if you want to get to know someone, you're going to actually have to ask them real questions. You're actually have, going to have to probe into their life, and they are going to have to disclose things about themselves. Now, when the Lord asks questions in Scripture, it's not like that. When God is asking questions, it's not because he needs information to be given to him, and unless people yield that information, he won't have it. No, but just like the prophet Jonah and Adam when he was in the garden, 
when the Lord is asking questions, it is so that his people will stop, that they will consider their ways, and that they would respond accordingly. Now, as we approach chapter 7 this evening, and Lord willing, chapter 8 in the weeks to follow, uh, there is a, a single question that it kind of runs through both of these chapters. The people want to know about their fasting and whether or not they can stop their fasting. And so what we're going to do is look at just chapter 7 this evening, covering the issue of fasting. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up with chapter 8 and see how the Lord responds. Uh, but this, this chapter, it's, it's teaching us about the dis- difference between true and false religion. That's what chapter 7 is about, the difference between true and false religion. And so what I want us to do is divide this chapter into to three different sections, as we normally do. And first, I want us to look at verses 1 through 3, uh, entitled, False Religion Arrives. False Religion Arrives. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7, and we're going to see false religion revealed And then finally, in verses 8 through 14, we'll see false religion judged. So we'll look at each of those uh, in turn. But as we begin, I just want to uh, let us know that as we approach chapter 7 and 8, this is is a turning point in the book. Uh, This is a hinge for the book of Zechariah. Thus far, we've been able to study uh, chapters 1 through 6, and we've seen a, a lot of uh, amazing things as Zechariah has recounted the night visions uh, that he had. Now, as we go from chapter 7 and chapter 8, and we, we spill into chapter 9 in the following weeks, uh, chapters 9 through 14 is primarily going to concern uh, the coming messianic king and how his kingdom is going to be established, how his kingdom is going to be set up. And so right in the middle of that, is this hinge uh, section of the book, chapter 7 and 8, uh, covering the issues of fasting and true and false religion. So as we look at verse 1, it says that we are in the fourth year of the, of the, uh, the reign of King Darius, that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. A couple things. One, that lets us know that we're approximately two years after the night visions uh, took place. So some time has elapsed. Uh, God's people have continued to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But it also says we're in the year or in the reign of King Darius. And for the original uh, hearers, that would have reminded them uh, all too painfully that they were still under the thumb of a uh, of an enemy ruler. They were not free. They were not living under their own king. They were not even living under the kingship of the prophesied Messiah or branch just quite yet. Rather, they were under Darius. They were under Darius. And what happens with this first section, with false religion religion arriving, is that a a delegation of, of people is sent down from Bethel. Now, Bethel is up north. Uh, it's a very, very famous place, especially in the prophets Amos and, and Hosea. And these two men, they come to Jerusalem in order to ask the religious leaders, the, the prophets and the priests, 
about some very specific religious questions. They want to know from these prophets and priests whether or not it is okay for them to uh, leave off weeping and abstaining as they have in the past. In other words, can we, can we stop fasting? Can we stop uh, going through these, uh, these religious rituals? And while there were uh, mandatory times of, of fasting in the Old Testament, particularly the, the Day of Atonement, uh, the fasts that are being referred to here in the book of Zechariah are fasts that uh, developed among the people later on, uh, specifically regarding the events around the destruction of Jerusalem. So there would be a fast for the day when the, the gates were burned. There would be a day when Jerusalem finally fell. And it would all be marked by a fast to mourn and lament uh, how things turned out for, for Jerusalem. And as I said, we're about two years down the road and the temple has been slowly under construction and God's people are able to uh, perhaps even look out their window and see how the temple is, is continuing to be raised up. And, and they see that it's, it's likely it's going to be completed. Uh, the, the temple is finally going to be finished. And so... Can we now stop fasting? Can we now get back to life and business as usual since the time of judgment has passed? Brings us to verses 4 through 7, which is false religion revealed. With the delegates' questions, God fires back a question for them. Says in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? Right away our ears should perk up because God is, is questioning his people. And remember, that doesn't mean that he's trying to get information from them because he needs it, but rather to have them consider their ways to think to stop, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then another question pops up in verse 6. It says, and when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? This question is much more pointed. God is saying that the people's works were motivated uh, not by their desire necessarily to please him, but for their own selfish desires. And finally, in verse 7, God questions and he says, Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? With her cities all around her, the south and the lowland was inhabited. And if we bring these three questions together, it gives us insight into the issue at hand. Uh, from the third question in verse 7, we may infer that Jerusalem is currently not prosperous. Jerusalem is not uh, currently uh, inhabited the same way that it was. Same with the south and the lowland. This was because of, of God's judgment, because God brought the Babylonians, and because he, he destroyed the city and, and people were still rebuilding. And God says that these, these were some of the same things that the former prophets had prophesied and spoken to his people. What does that mean? Well, there were men like Isaiah, men like Amos, men like Jeremiah, where 
what they did was they hammered pretty hard on some key points. The, the prophet Isaiah was extremely pointed in his preaching when he went out of the way to tell God's people, it, it doesn't matter if you're going through all these different fasts, like in Isaiah chapter 58, when people are still being oppressed. God's not pleased with that. God's displeased with your, with your fasting and going through the motions and going through the rituals when you're picking and choosing from his word. You say, I'll, I'll, I'll do this empty show of religion, this false religion, but I'm not actually allowing it to work itself out in my life. Uh, the prophet Amos, he hammered hard on the fact that it really doesn't matter if you have ceremonial precision when people are still being oppressed, when they're still being sold for uh, very cheap wages and God's people turn a blind eye. And they say, oh no, it's, it's okay. I've done my fasting. It's okay, I've, I've gone through the motions. Uh, God is not impressed with that. It's, it's sin and he, he will judge it. So the same words which God spoke by the former prophets are now being spoken to the post-exilic community. And, and again, this is very similar to what we saw in chapter 1. In chapter 1, remember, it was a call to repentance. God told His people very clearly, He said, don't make the same mistakes that the former generation did. They, they turned a deaf ear to my word. They, they turned away from me. They, they sought all these different uh, ways to please themselves at the expense of obedience. And what happened? They died. They died in the wilderness. They died in exile. It doesn't end well when you disobey the Lord. And so once again, Zechariah is delivering God's word and he's telling this post community, I want you to take seriously all aspects of God's word. Not just going through fast, not just going through empty, for, empty forms of religion, but taking into account the totality of God's law. Yes, worshiping God in spirit and truth with the, with the first table of the law covering the first of the four Ten Commandments. But also we need to make sure that we're picking up on and putting into practice the second table of the law. Loving one's neighbor well. And you would think that God's people would be very quick to be eager to do so. Why? Because in their own history, they were once oppressed. In their own history, they were once in Egypt. In their own history, they once were going through times of great distress and they needed help. They were the ones who were fatherless. They were the ones who were sojourners. And by extension, the, the same is true for believers today. We were not in bondage to Egypt, but we were in bondage to sin. But God's people have been freed and they have been called to imitate their Lord in rendering just judgments. They've been called to imitate their Lord in showing kindness and mercy to people. They've been called to imitate their, their Lord in caring for the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. He doesn't oppress them. And all of this is eventually perfectly seen in the life of Jesus Christ. None of, none of the things that are listed here that they need to avoid, uh, persecuting those who are poor. Jesus never did that, but rather he perfectly fulfilled the moral law 
and he had concern for all those around him. Uh, that doesn't mean that all of his work was tied up helping other, other people, uh, perhaps uh, obtaining food and, and necessary resources, but he was generous and he provided. So that brings us to our third point, and that is false religion judged. Unfortunately, we, we know all too well that the previous generation, uh, before Zechariah's time, they, they disobeyed. We've seen that clearly in the book thus far. But, but look what, what God says about the previous generation. It says, verse 11, 1, they refused to pay attention. 2, they turned a stubborn shoulder. 3, they stopped their ears. 4, they made their hearts diamond hard. All of these are terrible sins. But I just want us to think about for one moment that, that phrase and that, that sentence right there. They, they made their hearts diamond hard. When someone has a diamond hard heart, it means that it is no longer sensitive to hear God's word. When ha- someone has a, a diamond hard heart, it, it means that they become spiritually deaf. It means that they have become deadened. It means that they no longer have ears to hear. That is not a good position to be in. Not whatsoever. It is, it is a horrifying situation to be in because there is a, a very definite principle in Scripture. And this is something that we would do well to remember for ourselves. It would be well, do well for us to remind our families and those around us. And that is that disobedience leads to deadness. That's how it works. When, when you disobey, it, it hardens your heart. When you refuse to open your ears to God's law, to God's word, it does not go well. You become spiritually deaf. You become spiritually blind little by little. But the pathway back is always repentance. And a true believer, they, they will never totally and, and entirely fall away. We, we should rest in that knowledge. But at the same time, we need to take seriously that if, if there is someone, and if, if this is your, your, your state, that you want to see just how far you can push it, how far you can decline in your faith and still be saved, that is a, a dangerous situation, my friend. That is a dangerous situation and someone with that particular disposition, they, they have little right to assurance of salvation if they're just trying to see how far they can push it. Zechariah is reminding the post-exilic community it doesn't go well for those who refuse to hear. And what they particularly need to hear right now is a call to care for those within the covenant community, a call to uh, live out and put into practice the second table of the law to not only love God well, but also love their neighbor well, rather than simply picking and choosing from God's law. Uh, For those who are are ordained in, in Presbyterian or Reformed churches, Uh, they are asked to state if they have any differences between their own theology and the theology of the Westminster Standards. And I think this is a good practice. 
Uh, and we, we recognize that the, the standards, while they're, while they're a very good summary of what the Bible teaches, uh, they're not identical to Scripture. And so there could be uh, a candidate who says, uh, you know, my, my conscience is bound that I have a, a small scruple and I, I take a difference here. I take an exception here. And that's, that's all well and good. We, we need to remember and this, this is very, uh, this can be very convicting. God is not pleased when we take exceptions to his word. You can take exceptions to man-made documents. You cannot take exceptions to God's word. Every single word is true. Every single word we are bound to obey. Why? Look with me at, at the seventh chapter in verse 12. That they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear, hear what? The law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. It's the word of the Lord sent by his spirit through the prophets. And it is God's word. It is God's law. We are bound to obey it, all of it. And for the post-exilic community, and I would argue for us as well, we would do very well to remember the need to take seriously loving our neighbors well. So we've seen so far Zechariah exposing false religion, that these fasts were just a, a cover-up, that they weren't really all that interested whether or not God was, was pleased because they were using the fast as a cover-up. They were saying, we're just going to continue to do these fasts. But God's saying, what I want you to do is put into practice my word. I haven't commanded those fasts. I have commanded you to take care of others. So if we were to ask ourselves, okay, that's, that's false religion with all this uh, made up fasting. What, what's true religion? Well, there's a very helpful verse we have in the New Testament. Uh, James gives us a very good starting place in James 1. Uh, verse 27, he says, A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if we unpack that a little bit, I'd like to read a, a quick uh, quote from Matthew Henry. He says, Visiting is here put for all manner of relief, which we are capable of giving to others. The fatherless and the widows are here particularly mentioned because they are generally most apt to be neglected or oppressed. But by them, we are to understand all who are proper, proper objects of charity, all who are in affliction. So just break down what he's saying. He's saying, uh, somebody might ask, well, does that mean uh, true religion is, is only caring for, for the widows and for the fatherless? No, Matthew Henry is saying that those, uh, those two representatives are part for the whole. It's talking about a, a broader category of people who are in need. And so he's saying true religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. You, you keep the commandments of God. How do you, how do you stay unstained from the world and, and live holy before God? Well, you have no other gods before him. Don't worship him with images. You don't take his name in vain. You keep the Sabbath holy. But then there's the second table of the law where we have so many who are in need. 
And it is loving God and loving our neighbor well according to God's word that is true religion. So as we, as we wrap up, just to give us a little bit of motivation, let's, let's ask ourselves, why, why? What is our motivation for loving our neighbor well and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ well? Why go out of our way? Why, uh, why put forth so much time, so much energy, so much even perhaps uh, financial resources in order to help others? Help those who are fatherless. Help those who are in need. And I believe the answer is very similar to if you were to ask the Philippians, why should you be humble? Well, Paul tells them, you should be humble because Christ humbled himself in order to save you. Why should we help our brothers and sisters in need? Because Christ has helped us. Why should we help those who are fatherless? Is because Christ when you were fatherless, sent forth his spirit and caused you to be born again, brought, him in, brought you into his family and gave you an inheritance so that for all of eternity you will have no lack. Why should you help those who are poor and in need? It is because Christ, though he was rich, he emptied himself and became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. We are to love others, as John says, because he first... God first loved us. If we remember the uh, woman who came to Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, uh, Jesus put a question to Peter, and he wanted to know if there's a money lender who uh, had two, two debtors, one with a very large amount and the other with a very small sum, and he forgave them both, uh, which, which debtor is going to love the money lender who forgave the debt more? Peter answers right like, well, I suppose the one who forgave more. And Jesus says in Luke seven forty seven, Therefore I tell you, her sins, the woman, which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus has, has not left you and I in the dark uh, with what he expects of us regarding his church. And in Matthew 25, there's that famous passage where Jesus is, uh, has all the nations brought before him, brought into judgment. And what's astounding is he takes notice of every single little detail, every single little act of kindness that has been done. He sees it. And what does he say? Matthew 25, 40 says, And the king... And since we're in Zechariah, we might say the Messianic King, the branch, Jesus Christ, will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we love because God first loved us. Let us allow his love to motivate us to put into practice true religion as we see it here in this text. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you that you have brought us into your family. Lord, that you have given us an inheritance. That even when we were without hope in the world, you provided for us. We pray that you would make us instruments, not only within your church, but Lord, that you would allow the, the blessings, the provision 
uh, the prosperity and inheritance that you have given us, Lord, that it would spill out from your church and that we would be helpful uh, not only to your church, uh, but all those around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.